This week, Hulu dropped a new documentary about Ervil LeBaron. I think overall the documentary was pretty well done. However, it was produced in a way that would appeal to a very large audience and had to be told in a way that would make sense to a largely non-Mormon audience. I had other questions about this story, however. Mainly, what was happening inside Joel LeBaron's Church of the Firstborn that set the table for Ervil's insanity? Fortunately for me, Dwayne Hafen has just published a book on this subject. Dwayne was a member of that church and got to see firsthand how things went off the rails. In this episode, Dwayne and I talk about the LeBaron family, how Joel established the Church of the Firstborn down in Mexico, what Ervil's role in that church was, and the surrounding tensions that ultimately led to Ervil ordering the deaths of many people. My hope is, is that by examining all of these topics, we as Mormons can take away some lessons and be on guard so nothing like this ever happens again inside Mormonism. That's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. So you've decided you want to make a podcast. That's great. It's exciting stuff, but it can also feel overwhelming. But good news for you, Spotify's got you covered. Spotify's got a platform that lets you make a podcast really easily and then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. It's all in one place, and best of all, it's for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter where you're at or what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. They have options for video podcasts as well. Now, if you want to take your podcast to the next level, you can have conversations with your fans with Q&A polls, which are the best way to get them talking to you and to each other. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free. No catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters and I've been hosting on Spotify, I feel like that I get great audio quality and have all those features that are right at my fingertips that allows me to take the podcast to the next level. Download the Spotify for Podcasters apps or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started today. Look, it's no secret that our society has become much more crude and coarse. To become and raise men and women of virtue and character is a Herculean task. To help with this, I have recently wrote and published a book. Now, back in the 1700s, Washington had a book called Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior in Company and Conversation. It was a book with 110 rules that talked about how to conduct yourself like a civilized person in society, something that today's society is sorely lacking. What I did is I went back through the book and I reinterpreted his original sayings for the 21st century. So the book is laid out in a way in which you see Washington's original rule. Right below that is my explanation for the 21st century. And below that, you'll find two or three examples of where to use this in the real world. Now, to go along with this, there's a workbook that helps parents teach these principles and practices to their kids. To find the book, go to mormonrenegade.com, go to the bottom of the page, Search out the blog post and order your copy today. I can bear personal testimony from personal experience that this is an invaluable tool to help you raise men and women of virtue and character.
Hey, Dwayne. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm uh, not at home. <laughs> I'm in my daughter-in-law's house in uh, La Paz. <laughs> but, I'll bet you weather. I'll, I'll bet you your weather's a lot better than my weather right now. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's good to talk to you again. You too. You too. You know, I'll bet you your weather up there is a lot better than mine is. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Oh, it's sunny and beautiful, and I'm up here in the cold and the and the uh and the inversion. So hey, I went swimming uh, yesterday. Okay, that's enough. We don't need to go. And there. I thought the water would be cold. I was disappointed it was a little too warm. <laughs> Thanks, Dwayne. I appreciate that. <laughs> Way to make me feel worse about my situation here. So, all right. And there's there's children here. I hope they don't cause a problem. No, no, it'll be fine. It'll be just fine, Dwayne. So, when, as we all know, there's a Hulu special coming out about Ervil LeBaron and about what happened there as far as his targeted assassinations and whatnot. I want to first get the backstory on who Ervil was. I, I want to start with what his upbringing was like, how he he came of age, um, and then move into kind of what his his uh, his religious life was like. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Perfect. So, what kind of home did Ervil grow up in? Was it a good home? Was it troubled? It was probably typical of the time. Uh, he was raised Mormon. LDS Mormon. He actually went on a mission for the LDS Church when he was young. Yeah, his two older brothers both went on missions for the LDS Church. But uh, Ervil was born and mostly raised in Mexico, in Chihuahua, Mexico, in a place called Colonia Dublan, which is a Mormon colony. And of course, living in the Mormon colony, he went to the Juarez Academy, which was a Mormon-run school. Right. Wow. And, uh, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, saying wow. Uh, one know. of the interesting things that's worth knowing is he wasn't supposed to be able to go on a mission at his age. He was underage. And his brother went, and he was so upset that his brother was going without him, that they managed to get him a special appointment with the future president of the church, the chief apostle at the time, the head of the apostles, and got special permission. Really? So they had they had contact with uh, the leaders of the church. So, so when, they weren't just uh, kind of your run-of-the-mill membership. They were able to have have uh, interactions with the higher-ups at the LDS Church. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Wow. Uh, Benjamin F. Johnson was the grandparent, and he was a special person in the church. Mm-hmm. And the father uh, was also a very special person in the church. So, you know, it wasn't such a strange thing that they would have contact with the higher-ups in the church, but they did. 
Wow. So was 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 Ervil's dad practicing the principal at this time or anything like that? Well, Ervil's dad uh, decided he wanted to live plural marriage a number of years before. And he had managed to get a copy of the 1858 Taylor Revelation, which said, hey, use your own brain, use your own judgment, and do what you want to do about plural marriage. But it's still the law. It's still what you're supposed to do. And so he did. <laughs> he got himself uh, a wife, got himself married to her, and immediately moved to Mexico because of the fear of being arrested. Wow. So was because, again being uh, a noted name in the church, it wasn't a good thing to be a polygamist. <laughs> sure, sure. Was so was was and is Alma Dyer Ervil's dad or is that Joel? I, I'm sorry. Yes, Alma Dyer LeBaron. Okay. So was Alma, yeah, was he practicing plural marriage while his boys were on a mission? Yes, yes. Wow. They, both both he and the dad's two wives had been excommunicated long before that. Well, long being like about 10, 10 years, okay. But, uh, or maybe more. And the one wife had deserted the family. It was down to just the, the mother and the uh, whose name was Maud. It was Maud and Dayer and the children. Okay. All right. So he wasn't living plural marriage, though, during the time that his son was on a mission. The father? Well, yeah. he wanted to. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So what was it like growing up in Alma Dyer LeBaron's home what was what was alma okay. like as a father his father his father was a very strict disciplinarian i mean fanatically so and a lot of people in that time were uh, hard hard a hard pioneer life called for some pretty tough uh, parents but the father was extremely uh uh very 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 uh, discipline, very strong disciplinarian. My mother, when she was eight years old, happened to live next door to them in Dublin, Mexico, for a while. And she had, she said that she remembered Dyer very well. The meanest son of a bitch she ever met in her life, according wow. to her. <laughs> Holy cow. That's, that's a pretty, it's a pretty harsh <laughs> indictment. Um, do, do you get the feeling that, that, Dyer LeBaron was was abusive at all, or was he just strict? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I can't okay. say. But I can say that the other thing that you have to not forget or miss here is his mother, and I loved his mother, by the way. She was a terrible nice woman to me. But his mother had aspirations or desires for her children you are going to be the best you're going to excel you're going to be somebody all of the girls competed in piano and won they would consistently have to win and be the best piano player in the whole area 
the boys, I mean, uh, the oldest son was named Benjamin LeBaron. And Ben LeBaron uh, was very athletic, very competitive. He ended up being the uh, school high, the high school president his last year of high school in the Waters Academy. Very competitive, these people. But Mama pushed them. I can't leave that part out. Mama expected very, very, expected them to excel, all of them. You are expected to do well. You're expected to be better than those around you. Was this, do you think that this was a, a healthy push? Because, look, I, I'm a big believer in sometimes our kids don't, don't meet expectations because we as parents don't set them. Was this, yeah. in, in your opinion, was was his was Erville's mother, was it a healthy push or was this kind of maybe over the top? Oh, she was a terribly loving person. She just, you can you can push uh, without pushing. <laughs> right. Right. And so this this was maybe a little bit over. I, I love you. I expect you to be the best. Okay. All right. So it sounds Don't like disappoint me. Sure, sure. So it sounds like Ervil was raised in almost kind of a pressure cooker, for for lack of a better word. You had a a very strict disciplinarian disciplinarian of a father who by your your own mother's account said he was the meanest SOB she'd ever met. Mm -hmm. And then you have a mother who, although is very loving, uh, kind of um, drives her children, so to speak, really pushes them to to excel. So we can kind of yes. get this feel for, based off of what you said there that that maybe he's raised in a pressure cooker kind of a situation. Would that be a fair assessment? Mm, he was. She just plain expected them to excel. Okay. Uh, among among some of us, we say the LeBarons have an attitude that they were born to rule. And that's probably just because of the way they were raised. I got They're you. Ex they expected to be number one. I got you. I got you. Okay, so where does Ervil end up serving his mission at? In the south part of Mexico, uh, in, the, in the deep south of Mexico, uh, Puebla, uh, in those areas, Puebla and the poor parts of Me the state of Mexico, Ozumba, uh, places that, uh, where they had a lot of the Mayan people, actually. Okay. What, what, what Was it a successful mission in terms of baptisms? Uh, yeah, it was. They were good missionaries. He served with his brother. He served with his brother, Joel. Uh, he joined his brother, and you got two blonde, big, tall, blonde American boys who speak fluent Spanish. Interesting. So they were impressive. And they had learned how to preach. And they had following their brother, Alma, the older, the Alma Jr., Alma Dayer LeBaron Jr., had just finished a, a mission in the same area. So these boys kind of, oh, heck, there's another one. And they, they knew how to preach. They knew how to talk. They had been trained to be in front of people. That's why I'm talking about the influence of the mother. 
you can stand up, you can talk, you can preach, you can do anything. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it, at this time, Herbal still, even though he's on an LDS mission, he's probably still, for the most part, understanding of, of what we classify as, as Mormon fundamentalist principles, right? His dad was a polygamist. When they went on their Mormon mission, I think they believed in the Mormon church. Uh, even Alma, when he went, wasn't too happy with the fact that his father was a polygamist. Okay. But after he had been there and on his mission and he'd managed to read a little bit, the older brother Alma said, hey, you know what? Maybe dad's right. He got to see some situation. He says, you know, my father's right. And then he came home. And in the meantime, Joel and Ervil are on the same in the same mission area he was. And they're doing a good job. Uh, they're sending home good reports of how good they're doing in the mission. I'm sure they believed in what they were doing. But Alma decided to start to preach plural marriage and a couple other things, and he got in trouble. So he had a disciplinary uh, council called. So what did he do? He got hold of his brothers, sent a, sent a telegram or however he, they communicated. This is about 1940 five or six or somewhere around there. No, no earlier than that. The war was over in 45. Anyway, about 1943 or 44, I don't know. And somehow he got word to them, hey, I need you to come home and help me. So they immediately abandoned their mission. They didn't bother to say goodbye or we got an emergency or nothing else. They just went home. Wow. And all three of them ended up getting excommunicated. Whole, they got excommunicated because they left their mission early. Because they abandoned their mission without permission and went to defend their brother. Okay. All right. I got you. I got you. So they get home from their mission. How long was 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 Ervil out on his mission exactly? I'm sorry. Try that again. How long was Ervil out on his mission? Oh, they were probably there a couple of years. I'm not sure. This was probably back in the time of like three-year missions, right? Yeah, or maybe they were a year. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure of the time. Okay. But All right. they were definitely we... doing a good job okay. up until that point. All right. So when they get back home, what happens next? They get excommunicated. Where, where does their faith journey take them from this point? Okay. Uh, the interesting thing is we're in World War II still. It's getting close to the end, but there's still World War II. And when they were on a mission, they apparently had some sort of a, an exception, a draft exemption. But uh, immediately after they came home, got excommunicated, Alma and Joel did a draft call. You've got a report uh, for service. Now, and they both said no. Is this through the is this through the Mexican government or the American government? No, no, they, they were. There's a difference here. Uh, Alma and Joel were born in the United States. Irva was born in Mexico. Okay. All right. So and so Irva Irva was a Mexican citizen and an American citizen. Okay. 
but Joel and Alma were only American citizens. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. They had no rights in Mexico. I got you. And that's an important thing. Okay. All right. So they, they get back. They, they all say, no, they're not going on there into the service either. Um, how how did they manage to get that without serving time? Because this is a time when they when were dodged... both arrested and served time. Okay. They they claim conscientious objectors. They use the uh, doctrine and covenants uh, where it says that you don't go to war unless uh, you've done certain things, and claim to be conscientious objectors. They both went to jail for a period of time. Fortunately, the war was over pretty soon, and they went home. Okay. All right. That in the meantime, sense. in the meantime, uh, the older brother, Ben, who had had some serious problems, uh, came home. He took his family and went to Mexico and some followers. He had decided he was the one mining and straw. Okay. And he had some followers. He was he was still he he was already certified crazy. Okay, and that's another story. But excuse me. He he uh, had gone to Mexico. He had some followers, and Ervil became one of his followers. Okay. And then when Alma came home, he became one of his followers. And they were both uh, working with their brother, Ben. Joel came home, uh, begged for forgiveness, and got re-baptized into the church, the LDS church, and went to do his own thing. He was making a living by purchasing uh, corn and other commodities in the mountains and selling it to the people around in Chihuahua, they were raising animals and stuff. So they kind of went up their own, their separate ways. Gotcha. But, but Ervil and Alma became uh, a couple of apostles for their brother Ben, who had visions of being the one mighty and strong that was going to set the church in order. Interesting. And some of the things that Ben did were really, really bizarre. I don't know how else to call it. Bizarre. Strange. Bizarre how? What do you mean by, by bizarre? Well, uh, he had apostles. Alma Jr. was his right apostle. Uh, Irva was his left apostle. And they had to always sit on that side of him at the dinner table or wherever. And then he had a cousin named Owen LeBaron, who was his number two apostle. Uh, you know, he was number one, this guy was number two. And he could sit anywhere he wanted, even on Ben's lap. That yeah. is... That, that, that and is. Ben was very, very, very uh, domineering. Uh, he had to have his meals just a certain way. He had to have his clothes just a certain way. And his apostles were expected to wait on him and wouldn't eat until he, he was through. You know, it was he was really abusive. 
And so, the women that were around were abused even more. Oh, man. Okay, so answer me this. We know that Ben has some medical, I mean, some some mental issues, right? That's that's beyond debate. He, I, if I'm not mistaken, he was the one that was like out in State Street, in the middle of State Street in Salt Lake doing push-ups, right? Yeah, yeah. He's the one uh, that Dan LeBaron went on the corner there and stopped traffic so he could prove that he was the one mining strong by doing, I don't know how many push-ups there in the intersection, and when they come to take him away, he challenged the policeman to, hey, let's see if you can do it. <laughs> gotcha, he gotcha. Was, he was pretty wild. So why would, look, if, if he's certifiably crazy, why does Ervil and um and his brother... Well, when they joined, they didn't know he was crazy. Okay. He was their older brother. They loved their older brother. Their older brother had always been their idol. When they were growing up, their father, if he was gone, then their older brother was the de facto disciplinarian or father, or whatever you want to call it. Got you. Was was this did did mental in, illness run in the family, or is this kind of a a one off thing? I'm sorry. What was that? Was was this mental illness, did this run in the family, or was this kind of a one-off incident? Uh, that is the worst piece of propaganda that anybody ever put out. I've had some crazy people in my family. I bet you have, too. Now, if I if I decided I was the one mighty and stronger, the one man on the earth at the time, you might just go find some of those people say, hey, uh, crazy runs in the family. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So this no, seems to be no, isolated. No. Okay. Well, let me tell you about Ben. Let's back up and talk about Ben for a minute. Okay. Ben had been the uh, class president. He had good grades. And we're talking about during the Depression, he went out to the United States. He gets himself into college. He's going to college. He has his own car. Now, this is when cars are just being uh, starting to be available. He owns his own car. He ha he's making his own living. He's selling fuller brush. And he's doing, and he's in college. And he's getting ready to get married. He's, his life is a, really going good. He had lots of expectations. He was his mother and his father's pride and joy. They were so proud of him. But uh, his mother apparently had a fuss with her father one time and sent a message to Ben that her father, his father was abusing her. And guess what Ben did? He dropped everything, ran home to confront his father. And after he gets there and raises heck with his father, he comes back and turns around and he goes in the house and here's mama sitting on daddy's lap and they're very, very loving. And he said, what is going on? Well, don't you know that I adore your father? We, we love each other. Okay. So he returns to the States to go to school. But he's got to try to pick up his job. <clears throat> and his girlfriend, he, had, he was engaged to be married, but she... she you know, the bird, the, when the cat cats away, the, the mice play or whatever... She she found somebody else and got herself married. Mm. So here's Ben. 
He's disappointed with his father and his mother. He feels like they made a fool of him. His girlfriend has found somebody else. And all of his expectations, all of his desires, all the things that he had hoped that would happen, they weren't going to happen. And it broke him. Now, if they have a propensity for something, it's a propensity to have high expectations, which, which when they're not realized, they can't handle it. One yeah. of, that's one of the dangers of having uh, unattainable uh, goals and expectations. Mm-hmm. You might you you have to be willing to say, "Hey, I guess I can't do that." Right. And apparently that's a difficult, that was a difficulty. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, but still Ben had, had push with Ervil and with, with his other brothers. He, he was still the oldest son. He was still the one that they all looked up to. Are you the oldest in your family? I am. Do you have younger brothers and sisters that look up to you? Uh, n- not so much anymore. We, uh, my my oh. family is kind of a mess. So, well, yeah, but you understand what I'm saying, right? I do. I'm an old son, okay. And until I got out of the church, I had a lot of influence in my family. Right. When I was excommunicated back in 1964 or three, whatever it was. Uh, I lost a lot of that influence. Gotcha. Gotcha. In my own family. Okay. So Ben comes home. Well, goes back to the States, starts this church and then decides to go back to Mexico. Is that correct? Yes. So he brings a couple of his followers and begins to set up a deal in the, in Chihuahua. Uh, the father had, they had a place, some place in the mountains, I don't know where, and they decided they would go there and start to live, whatever it was they were going to live, set up, set the church in order. Ervo is immediately put to work translating and publishing information for Ben and his second in command, Owen LeBaron. And they're, they're publishing pretty good stuff because they're stealing it all from the fundamentalist movement. Mm-hmm. In other words, they're they're reading stuff that was written by Musser and Broadbent and other people. Oh, that sounds good. We'll just reword it a little bit. And now we're going to gonna send this out to the world. But so- Erwin was doing that in Spanish. He was translating and publishing. And one of the followers, a fellow by the name of Joseph Morston, had managed to get a printing press, which became Earl's toy. So he was translating and publishing, publishing, spending every dime he could get on doing the work of the Lord. He was happy that he was doing what he felt he should be doing. And his mother was happy with him. His father was happy with him. All right. So so this is a time where where Herbal's invested in this new fundamentalist movement. 
with with his brother Ben and his his uh his other brother and things seem to be going well right um he's like you said he's spending a lot of money on printing this stuff my question is is on that stuff that you said they were taking from Musser and whatnot and then just changing it were they crediting Musser and those other guys or were they saying it was their own work I'd be kidding of course not <laughs> okay all right and this was straight from God. Okay. Okay. All right. So they were. Anyway, but they, they were leading heavily on fundamentalist literature. Okay. All right. But no, they, uh, the idea that you at, uh, do attribution, that you show <laughs> where you get all this stuff, that wasn't very famous in the 40s. Okay. Knew it, was, <laughs> it wasn't something that people did. Gotcha. You, you could you could quote the, everything and oh you're so smart. Uh, what do you mean you got it from Shakespeare? I thought you made it up. <laughs> okay, all right. It just wasn't wasn't done. Gotcha, gotcha. So it looked like it was theirs. They were publishing it as, as it was theirs. Plus Ben was throwing in his own little two bits worth. Uh, Thus saith the Lord, you do this or you do that. What was the setup there in in Ben's I'm movement? Sorry. Or yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. What what was the setup there in Ben's church like? Did did everything flow through Ben, and including marriages, including you know everything? Nobody was getting married particularly. Okay. okay. All uh, right. Ben had full control of everything, especially any woman that was associated with him. And some of the women says, okay, hasta la vista, goodbye. And they left. Uh, Joseph Morrison's wife and took her kids, her girls, and left and left the son behind. A guy by the name of Nephi Morrison got to stay. But she and the girls got the heck out of there in a hurry. Uh, Ben's wife had some serious problems and eventually got away. Uh, Owen LeBaron's wife had some serious problems and eventually got away. It was very, very abusive. Okay. All right. So as... as and of course, Ervil and Alma both learned from that experience. Okay. All right. Alma LeBaron Jr. became a very abusive person as well. All right. That's too bad. What what was the father's role in this church? Alma Sr. The senior? Yeah. No, he was just watching. He, he wasn't excited about it. Uh, he was in Colonial, uh, Colonial Juarez doing his thing. They had, look, Colonial Baron didn't exist quite yet, okay? Okay. So, or it was just starting. But he was busy doing what he needed to do. He was trying to make a living. Again, you you've got a just coming out of the uh, out of the depression type situation, and people had to make a living any way they could. And he he had to work. He had to work at getting at making a living. He did a lot of things. He wasn't always home. He had he 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 had been and his group in a different location, like they had a couple of ranches. 
he was in some property in the mountains. And Colonial LeBaron was just starting to come together. Eventually, Ben moved to Colonial LeBaron. But it, for a while, it, it, he wasn't there. Okay. Okay. So so Alma Sr. is not involved in this church whatsoever or anything? No, 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 not really. No. Okay. So after, okay, so this goes along for a while. What ends up happening to Ben? Well, Ben, of course, uh, eventually gets committed okay. to the insane asylum. His follower, Owen, gets committed. Owen was a Canadian citizen, and he was basically expelled from Mexico. He couldn't go back. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, Ben did on occasion. But he spent a long time in Provo at, at, at the uh, Utah, whatever they call it, insane asylum, I guess. Okay. In Provo, Utah. Okay. So and, uh, he eventually gets got out. Uh, I met Ben years later, and I actually liked Ben. He was a likable person. He wasn't being abusive at that time. He didn't have a wife. He was just him. And he would talk. And a lot of things he said made sense. I like Ben. Okay, don't misunderstand me about Ben. But by then, he wasn't out pushing that he was the one mighty and strong, although I think he still thought he was. But he was considerably uh, tamed down by the time I met him. Gotcha. Gotcha. And Ben's the one that told me, Dwayne, you know what's the best thing about being crazy? No, I don't know, Ben. What's wrong? What's the best thing? You can say anything you want to. You can even tell the truth. <laughs> yeah. So, so and, and uh, you know what? There's a lot of wisdom in that. <laughs> okay. Sure, sure. So what ends up happening to this church that Ben starts when he gets committed? Yeah, it, it's done. But about that time, uh, they get involved with the Allreds. The Allreds were had just gotten someone who just gotten out of jail, and they were thinking that they might have to move to Mexico or somewhere because they might go back to jail. So some of the Allreds went to Mexico, actually built a couple of houses, and became very associated with the LeBarons. And so Alma and and Ervil both became part of the Allred faction. Ervil and Owen. And so Joe, so Ervil's loyalty moved from doing stuff for Ben to doing stuff for uh, Joseph White Musser and Ruling Allred and Margarito Batista. Yeah, Margarita Batista, we haven't talked about. No. Margarita oh, Batista was the fellow that started a United Order Plural Marriage thing in Mexico. Okay. What was he like? And Margarito uh, had a very, very rigid uh, control over those people. 
And of course, Ervil and Alma and Joel had all met Margarita while they were on missions down there. Interesting. And I don't know whether they were with Margarito before they were with the Alreds or whether it all happened at once. I kind of suspect they were with Margarito first. Okay. So in your estimation, they went with, with Batista and then ended up kind of hooking up with the Alreds and Musser and, and that sort right, of thing. Right, right. And yeah. started buying into the, uh, the Wooly story. Okay. You know. Yeah. Right, but uh, not really. Uh, Margarita Batista became a member of of uh, Joseph Musser's council, but he never bought into the uh, Woolly story. Okay, All he right. believed that because he was a Lamanite, he had a birthright mm -hmm. uh, reason to hold the priesthood, and he had been ordained an elder way back when, and that's all he needed. But when uh, Rulin Allred and Joseph Musser showed up in Ozumba and they ordained him and made him an apostle and gave him some additional authority, yeah, that's okay. He'd take it. He didn't need it, but he took it. Gotcha. And he had a lot of influence on the LeBarons, Mr. Uh, Matista did. When you say when you say in, when you say influence, what kind of influence? Are we talking doctrinal influence? Are we talking influence of in terms of money and success? What what kind of oh influence? from from Margarito? Yeah, no, Margarito didn't have no money. <laughs> okay, nobody had any money. Everybody was poor, but Margarito had some interesting uh, doctrines or policies to begin with. If you're going to live there, he had a, a small united order. And you, you had to agree that you wanted to join the united order. And you had to agree to practice plural marriage to join it. But if you joined it, you had to first find yourself a plural wife someplace else. Okay. After you already had a plural wife, then you could maybe, if you if you proved yourself worthy, have a chance at some of the girls within his organization. Okay. And he held the key to that. And nobody could get married without his permission. He had to decide if they were worthy or not. And he was also extremely abusive of women. All of these people seem to be abusive of women. Women are to be abused. Why do you think this is? Why? Why? Because because I'm seeing a a a thread here, right? Ben's abusive to his women. That gets passed on to Ervil and and his brother. Um, Batista seems to be very abusive. What what is causing this? Uh, keep them in line. Uh, you and I grew up in a world where women had some value. Right. Uh, there was a long time that women couldn't vote. They couldn't hold property. They... Interesting. But women, women had no value to speak of. So after... After 
uh Ervil and and his brother kind of hook up with Batista and and uh Ruin Allred. What happens next? Well, they were they started a united order in uh Colonial Baron under the nominal leadership of uh Musser and uh Margarita Batista. Okay. The All Reds made an attempt to build some houses and stuff there. Then they found they didn't really need to get out of the United States. And they were doing as best they could. Joel LeBaron, in the meantime, was doing his own thing. But then a, a couple of things happened. Uh, in 1955, more or less, uh, they realized that they needed some capital to do some things they wanted to do. So three of the barons were going to go north and approach uh, the Allred group about a loan or some, some way of helping them out financially. And Joel decided to go with them. Now, Joel had been kind of aside. He hadn't been really part of the all of these things. But about that time, the Mexican government put a freeze on the sale of corn and other commodities. And Joel went broke. Gotcha. So he joined up with them in this United Order effort. And so the four of them went north. Four of them? How many? Let me count them again. No, I guess it was... Joel and uh, Florent and Vervin. Three of them went north, excuse me. And so three of them went north to approach the Allreds. The Allreds said no. So Verlin uh, returned home. He had things he had to do in Mexico. He was trying to form and do some stuff and had a couple wives by then. He had three by then. So he had to go home. But Joel and Florin stayed with their brother in Salt Lake City. That's Ross LeBaron, Ross Wesley LeBaron, senior. Senior, let's make sure we say senior because junior had a completely different story, okay? Okay. But they went with their brother. Their brother was wanting to start a church, a church of the firstborn. This was Joel, you said? And they talked and they talked and they, okay, let's do it. And it was definitely going to be a church along patriarchal lines. It was going to be ruled over by the presiding patriarch, who was, of course, Wesley, the older one. And Joel and Florin were going to be uh, there with him, but it was going to be along the lines that Ross Wesley wanted to do it. But uh, remember I said the barons uh, were destined to rule? Yeah, they thought they, they, were, they, yeah. they, they, they They no more than got the thing going. Then Joel decided he wasn't happy with it. So he went to Farmington, Utah, up Farmington Canyon. You live up there? You know where Farmington Canyon is. I know where it's at, yep. Yeah, well, it's kind of a steep walk up there, mm -hmm. if I remember right. Yep. And you get up there, you're up in the clouds. It's a pretty nice place. 
Well, he went up there to pray and get some direction. He was there for a little while and he he uh, had a whole lot of heavenly visitors and he came back down uh, rather quickly with a whole lot of answers. He showed up at Carl Jensen's place that used to be in the mouth of Farmington Canyon and call, they called and Florin come and picked him up, took him back to Salt Lake. But that was the end of the association with Ross Wesley. Uh, Joel had to go do his own thing. Now, what Joel had in mind was to reorganize the church along the pattern that Joseph Smith had used. So Joel Joel wants to 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 kind of reorganize the church to something that right, right. he feels is more historically accurate to Joseph Smith. So he he starts down that path. How does Ervil get involved with that? Well, Ervil loved his brother. He was probably the first or second convert when he went back to Mexico. Okay. And he baptized his mother and he baptized Ervil and Alma came along and some of the others pretty soon. He had most of the brothers except Verlin. Verlin didn't really, he was still happy being a run-of-the-mill fundamentalist. Sure. Okay. But they set up a church, and Ervil was the brains of the operation. Okay. Uh, a lot of what of the stuff that Joel took took uh, credit for was actually done by Ervil. He's the writer. He's the translator. He's the author of what they consider their greatest document, Priestly Expounded the one that convinced the French missionaries to join the church the firstborn. He's the author, along with a guy by the name of Noel Pratt, of the 60 questions that the Mormons couldn't answer, that Joel took credit for. And Joel, and Erwell's a good good follower, a good, he, he's perfectly willing to let his brother take credit for everything. And that's what he did, okay? Gotcha. Take credit for everything. Okay. And people are, began to join. Uh, some of those ideas were pretty strong. But let's let's talk about another point real quick before it gets out of here. I joined the church of the firstborn in 1963, 64, in that area. But you know why I was able to be converted? I was completely convinced that the Jesus, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints had gone south. They had lost it. They didn't know what they were doing. And they had tried to make me do things that I knew were wrong. So when the Church of the First Born Missionaries come along, hey, they're doing what God said to do. And they gave me hope, hope of finding the true Church of God. And I don't think anybody has ever been converted based on somebody's pushing them if they hadn't already decided that there was something wrong with what they had. Right. So it's hope, hope that converts people. Well, Irva was able to get so, a somewhat logical uh, approach that people could say, see it and say, oh, there's some hope some hope there to live the church that I believe in, 
to worship God because the Mormon Church is gone. They're 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 over the hill. Forget them. They're going they're going straight. They're going to become a mainline Protestant Church next week. I think they already have. But anyway, uh, all of that hope is what converted people to be part of the Church of the First Part, for the fullness of times. And there was a lot of them. There was intelligent people. There was a whole bunch of French missionaries became converted. They almost destroyed the French missions. I've heard uh, that story, Bill, yeah. Bill Tucker was a very smart man, and he had some influence. Can't get enough of the Mormon Renegade podcast? Well, good news. We're on Patreon, and there's three packages that you can choose from. The first one, the Slightly Rowdy Package, allows you to hear the podcast without all those pesky commercials getting in the way. For those who want a slightly more in-depth experience, there's the Stirring It Up Package, where you can hear ad-free audio, ad-free video, and transcripts. Finally, for those who want to go full Renegade, that package is available too, where you can get everything in the previous two packages, plus an extra show where myself and Ben Winfield break down the news of the day from a very Mormon point of view. You will also get exclusive access to Renegade Chat, and on there you'll be able to talk to others about the show or whatever topics are on your mind. Go to Patreon today and get your exclusive content. But the thing that uh, they came for was the hope that they found when they heard about Priesthood Expounded. I I personally think Priesthood Expounded is a piece of crap, but that's just me, all right? Okay. I I see errors in it. I see plagiarism. I see a lot of stuff in it. But to a lot of people, hey, here's somebody that's got some answers. And gee whiz, they're living love. They're living the plural marriage. They're living love consecration. They're they're practicing adoption. And the Mormon churches give all that stuff up. Okay. There's some hope here. And they and they can use their scriptures. One of the interesting things I learned early on with that church is, well, we're, we just handed out a document here, and you're going to come out and, and talk to me about it. Okay. Well, fine. That's great. Uh, do you have your scriptures with you? Oh, yeah. Let me borrow them. Oh, thank you. Open it up. Would you read that for me? Oh, fine. What does that mean? Every time it was something that church couldn't be fed. Gotcha. And whoops, well, I'm going to go in and get somebody that know that'll take you on. And the guys will come in, they'll bear their testimony and they were gone. Gotcha. It was, and, and people watching that, hey, these guys have got it. These guys have got it. They really have the spirit of God and the church elders, all these scriptorians uh, have to go away with their tail between their legs. That's impressive. So if you're if you're unhappy at the church to begin with, and you have to be a little bit, you wouldn't even listen to it. Uh, you might just be convinced. Right. You might not make the jump because it's a big leap. It was a big leap for me. I was associated with it for quite a while before I actually joined. Right. I mean, my parents and grandparents, great grandparents parents all were in the church forever. They're all people that had who were in some of the history books. 
Mm-hmm. No, nah, it, it was. It, it, I'm not going to leave all that behind for a bunch of crazy people. Right. I was convinced that what they were doing was the same thing that I had already been taught to believe. They offered me hope to return to that religion. Right. And Ervil was the man in charge of disseminating all that hope because he was the head missionary. He was in charge of the initially just the Southern Mexico mission and then the whole mission. And eventually he received, he got this number two position in Joel's church. Joel had, had offered it to Ruben Allred. Ruben said, no, thank you. He had uh, offered it to Marguerite Batista, and he said, no, thank you. And so after a while, uh, Ervil rose to be the number two guy. And the church is going places. They're converting all kinds of people. Catholic priests, dignitaries from different things, uh, two or three bishops from the Mormon church, uh, people from other countries, uh, people from the that had worked in the State Department of the United States, they had some pretty heavyweight people converting. Interesting. And Ervil is the intellectual head of this. But Joel's taking all the credit. And Joel's the heart of it. He's the head guy. So let me ask you this. How does Joel administer this church is he is he kind of like ben was where look everything has to flow through me joe joe was a humble man he he would uh talk in in a way that people understood him and he would quote some of the early mormon leaders and people didn't know any better thought this was coming straight from joe he liked to quote Heber C. Kimball, for instance. Somebody that knew what Heber C. Kimball had said would say, oh, he got that from Heber C. Kimball. But people that didn't know any better thought that came straight from Joel. Interesting. Or one thing he liked to say, well, every tub has to sit on its own bottom. He got that from one of the early uh, apostles of the church or... I, I I put my pants on one leg at a time, meaning I'm just another man. Right. Uh, but he he uh, he preached a good song, and he wanted people to use their own judgment in things. Gotcha. But people people don't don't like that. Gotcha. People want to be told what to do. What's the use of having a prophet if I can't get him to tell me what to do? Right. People want to be told what to do. They don't want to be responsible for their own uh, decisions. They don't want to get down on their knees and ask God, Mm -hmm. uh, what shall I do? It's so much easier to go and see Joel LeBaron or Irvo LeBaron and say, hey, I got a problem here. What do you think I ought to do about it? Gotcha. Irvo would say, well, I just had a revelation. You should give all your money to me and let me marry that girl over there. 
Joe would say, well, you probably ought to think about it a little bit and just say, but, you know, people would eventually think that Joe had told them what to do and they would do it. Gotcha. It, it, it's like we're told that uh, Joseph Smith asked God three or four times about allowing that first 116 pages to go. Right. And God finally said, yeah, <laughs> go. And they promptly got lost. Right. Because Joseph Smith decided that he had the answer that it'd be okay. Well, people would do that to Joel to a certain extent. Joel wouldn't come out and say, this is what God wants you to do. But he might hint that, you know, well, uh, perhaps you should consider this or that. And people go home thinking that Joel had told them what to do. And that's what they would do. Gotcha. Gotcha. And but you people wouldn't do nothing without or anything. They wouldn't do anything. They do nothing is what they do. They wouldn't do anything without the approval of the prophet. I understand. For a while, we, we were very, we grew a lot. I actually ended up being the bishop's agent or presiding elder for three different congregations. Wow. We had one in San Diego with uh, a bunch of people, I don't know, 50 to 100 people show up there. We had one in Tijuana with quite a few people in it. And we had one in Los Molinos with quite a few people in it. And somehow I ended up being the presiding elder over all three. So I would be one place and another, I'd wander around. Anyway, <laughs> I would. I was in the one in Baja, California at, at a point after they'd already brought a lot of the Mexicans from the South to make an ajito. And we had a church building down there and it was raining like crazy and water was running in the church. And I says, hey, let's, why don't you give me a hand and we'll dig a ditch and we'll send that water down the hill. Oh, well, we have to ask Joe first. They wouldn't even use enough brains to say, let's, let's stop the water and dig a ditch without Joel's okay. And Joel wasn't around. Right. I dug the ditch and resigned as presiding elder in that particular area. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you, you said something earlier, though, in that part where you said Ervil was the kind of guy, though, that would have a revelation to give oh, yes, money absolutely. and then and then do that. See, that's the difference. Ervil understood that if he had a revelation, he, get, he began to get greedy. Uh, how would I put it? Section 121 of the Doctrine and Covenants, verse 34. Many are called, but few are chosen. And why are they uh, not chosen? Because as soon as they get a little priesthood authority, so they believe or think, I, I'm, not, I'm paraphrasing it, they immediately begin to exercise unjust dominion. Right. Right. And it that's what they do. So do you think Herbal kind of maybe learned some of this, though, from Ben, watching Ben preside over his church for a well, while? He, he was had come from a very poor situation. He had come from sacrificing everything. But all of a sudden, there's money available. And he's able to travel, not like this, not hitching a, a ride, 
but he's traveling in a nice new car. Mm. He had a Ford. Woo! <laughs> he could Got afford a Ford. Gotcha. Okay. So and he was traveling around. He the could afford nice clothes. He wore very nice clothes. He wore shiny shoes. He was sleeping in motels unless he was sleeping at somebody's house. Okay. He was eating good food. Now, every have you ever met have you ever met a poor preacher or a poor politician? No, they tend not to exist a whole bunch. I mean, there's a few, but not really. Of course, every one of them are doing it in the name of the Lord or to protect the Constitution or something. But somehow they all get money. I have a, a son-in-law that's an evangelical preacher. Oh, pastor, or preacher, uh, reverend. They speak Spanish. I'll have to change this. Uh, we just made this nice... A bowl of uh, pozole. Can we leave a little bit with you? Here's enough to feed your family for a week. Okay, thank you. Oh, preacher, pastor, uh, we just made this cake. Would you like some cake? People want to impress the preacher. Mm -hmm. They want to give approval from the preacher. They seek approval. Everything that we do, we do because we want to seek approval from God's servant. It's, it, it's true with any religion, in any country, uh, with any God. Right. If I were in India, I want to please Krishna or somebody. If I uh, was in Arabia, I want to preach. I want to impress the local. Uh, what do they call it? Anyway, the guy that runs the mosque. The the uh, the. I think they call him clerics. If I'm Jewish. I want to impress the rabbi. It's it's a it's a worldwide universal trait of people. They want to pre please the person that they admire. Mm -hmm. If I'm a politician. If I was a Republican, well, maybe last year I wanted to get, uh, what's his name, Trump's approval. This year, maybe I don't care. But if I was a Democrat, I definitely want uh, to impress Biden, you know? Right. That's people. Yeah. That's people. Yeah. So if I was had been poor all my life, if I'd had to maybe wear used clothes, maybe even use a wire to hold up my pants for a while. That's that's a lie that somebody told me he had to use barbed wire fence when they'd hold his pants up. <laughs> but anyway, if, if I uh, had come up from a very poor situation, which everybody from that era did, they came out of the depression for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, hey, I I can do anything I want. I've got money. Where'd it come from? Well, people just hand it to me. Right. Damn, that's nice. Right. Okay. And now I'm I'm the alpha male. 
And Irvin was a pretty nice looking guy. You've seen him, I think. Yeah. I probably got a picture of him here if you didn't. He was a, a tall, muscular, beautiful man, I suppose. I've never had much taste in men. But anyway, he was a good looking man. He was the alpha male. He was the one out front doing things. He was the smart one. He was the intellectual head of the church. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, okay. I think I'm glove. <laughs> okay. So we've kind of set the stage here of what where Erbil's at at this time. When does things start going off the rails for Erbil? What 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 got him off the rail? Yeah, what 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 is it that gets Erbil off the rails? What causes Erbil to go down the path? Erbil was doing everything he could for the church. Everything. He was the church's agent and a important factor if you live in Mexico is that a person like you or me cannot own property along the beaches or next to the borders. It's 50 kilometers from the beach. It's 100 kilometers from the borders. And the church had invested pretty heavily in Baja, California, thousands, thousands of hectares. And hectares is two and a half acres, right. more or less. Thousands of hectares, all in the name of guess who? Erbil. Erbil, the Mexican. Okay. And no problem. It's all church property. It's all going to be used. And Erbil is pushing everything he can to make the church go. But uh, there's some women that weren't happy with their husbands for one reason or another. And a couple of them were perfectly willing to go be Erbil's wife. Mm. So these women were flocking to Erbil. Okay. Pretty soon he's got 13 wives. I see. And how many kids? I don't know, but a whole flock of kids. And you got to feed them. So he's around hitting everybody up for money. Oh, we've got a project over here. It's going to take about $5,000, and we'd really like you to help. Oh, thank you. Oh, we've got this project. It's going to take about $5,000. We'd like you to help. Pretty soon he's got $15,000 towards that project. Gotcha. And... Another thing that happened, uh, most of us when we joined, okay, we're going to live the United Order. Here's everything I own. All I've got now is my wages for my work. Some people didn't. Why not? Oh, I need money to keep my, my business going. I buy property, I build houses, and it takes money to do that. So I can't give all of my property, but I can give some profits. Right. Or I got animals that I buy and sell, or I raise, chickens, turkeys, uh, cows, it don't matter. In order to do that, I have to have capital. So I'm going to end up keeping my money. So pretty soon you've got an economic disparity. Right. Some people that have money and some people that don't. 
And for some reason, most of the people that had money were in a church position. <laughs> it sounds like the Mormons, huh? <laughs> uh, they were on what was called the Standing High Council. The Standing High Council was the equal to the Traveling High Council. Mm-hmm. But the Standing High Council was in Zion. The Traveling High Council was supposed to be out in the mission field. Right. So somehow most of those men got on the Standing High Council. And somehow I got to be on that Standing High Council. And I was poor as can be. <laughs> but I was on that same council. So I saw this myself, all right? And... People were complaining about Ervils and his constant looking for money. Gotcha. And there was also some people that were very unhappy about him constantly uh, dealing in women. How'll I put that? Uh, be good to me and we'll get you a wife. Gotcha. All right? uh, people didn't like that. Or worse than that, uh, suppose you're on the Standing High Council and your wife is wanting to leave you to go marry Ervil and take your kids with her. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So all of this pressure was there. <clears throat> so we're sitting in a high council meeting. And basically what I hear, my interpretation of what I heard is, you've got to put some brakes or some reins, reins like to drive a horse. Mm -hmm. on Ervil because he's completely out of control. Okay. And if you don't, well, guess what? We're not going to invest in nothing. Well, I see. And they had thousands of acres in Mexico that they were going to build a big resort hotel with a harbor and the whole bit. And let's get some rings on Ervil or it's not going to work. The right. next day, the next day, Ir Joel came back and had a revelation and released her of all positions. All positions. <laughs> and Ervil didn't believe it. Ervil had served his brother in every way possible. He loved his brother unconditionally. He had devoted his entire life to religion and especially to the success, success of his brother church. And here it was doing very well with a lot of people coming with lots of money and property and everything. And Joel turned on him. Okay. How do you think he felt? So let, let me ask this though. Let me, let me, just from an outsider looking in, let me ask this question. Because I, based on what you just described to me about what Ervil's doing, and then people saying, you've got to rein in Ervil here. I, which, yeah. which I well, can. What happened is he lost his best friend. His best friend, his brother, turned on him. I, now, I, I'm not going to argue whether he deserved that or not. All I'm going to say is that there should have been some other way to deal with it. 
So Ervo, when he hears this, he don't believe it. He finally gets to his brother and he says, is it true? Yes. And he broke down and cried like a baby. He couldn't believe it. Okay, but but I'm I'm gonna push back here a little bit, Dwayne. Okay. Because to me, it sounds like Ervil is already practicing a form of priestcraft, right? I'm With sorry, again, it seems to me that as you described Ervil, the way he was quote rescuing women, the yeah. way that he was going around getting money for projects that would later line his prop own pocket to to yeah, yeah. to finance his family. That was wrong. That was this wrong. Is, this is priestcraft. Let's call it what it is, right? It's priestcraft. Yes, it is. I don't doubt that. And so we wouldn't if 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 this happened inside any other religious organization basically excommunicating that guy because what you've done is you've essentially taken the Lord's money and screwed around mm -hmm. with it, right? So yeah. So so in, in this way I I don't I don't see a problem with the way Joel handled this, right? I think that's well, probably uh, the only way you could I, handle like it. I said there oh, could have there was other ways he could have handled it. How else would you have handled that? Let me ask you that. Well, what did they do in the Mormon church? They put them on a stipend, is that the word they use? So it's not an income. Stipend? A stipend, yeah. But they they give them a, an allowance. They could give Herbal an allowance and says, "Okay, let's figure out what you need. This is what you get." Right, but nonetheless, he did commit a pretty serious transgression. Right, yeah. it it deserves some sort of discipline, and, and it could have been it could have been nipped in the bud a whole lot sooner. That's where I was going. Right, is nipping this in the bud sooner because but. Ervil loved his brother. His brother loved him. And nobody was innocent. He wasn't the only one that was taking advantage. Sure. Uh, some of them that's still there uh, were taking advantage. Other brothers were not hesitant to take advantage any chance they got. Joe called one of his brothers, said, you have the soul of a pig. Mm. He was that greedy. Mm. That was to the brother Alma Jr. Okay? Gotcha. Erva uh, wasn't the only one. <laughs> gotcha. A lot of the others were uh, getting money one way or another for different projects. And sometimes the projects would make it. Most of the time they didn't. But every there was a whole lot of people getting money from a whole lot of other people. Earl gotcha. was not alone. Gotcha. Gotcha. 10-4. Okay. So let's... neither was Joel innocent. Okay. All right. So let me ask you this. Obviously now he's broke. Right, he's broken, so to speak, because he's had everything taken away now. Because all the property was in the church's name, right? That that Irvel the church's name, no, the church didn't have any property in its name. That's a big. That's the big point about Irvo being a Mexican. In 1917, 1915, 1917, in Mexico, they had a revolution. 
it was because of the church. The Catholic Church owned almost all the land. Right. And after that revolution, it became against the law for any church to own any land in Mexico. They've let that slide a little bit now. The Mormon Church actually owns some land in Mexico. But yeah. the Catholic Church uses all those churches as a concession from the government. But they don't own them. They belong gotcha. to the nation. Gotcha. Okay, so who's... So, well, let's chase this a little further. All of that land was in Earl's name because the church didn't own anything. Okay. Earl's had all the land. And after Joel was killed and Earl was gone... Uh, I got to watch the LeBarons fight over who got the church's land because it wasn't going to be anybody. It wasn't going to be the church. Right. So, so, so Irma wasn't the only one. So if you're in a band of thieves, are you going to excommunicate the one that uh, is the head thief? Right. I see where you're going. Let, let me ask you this, <clears throat> Ervil, and, and I'm seeing kind of a repeat here with Ben, right? Er, Ervil loses, and then he kind of, he, he loses a lot, right? And then he kind of loses it. Um, Where, at what point does he not just decide, you know what, this sucks, I'll just take the land that I own, sell it off, and then I can at least take care of my family. How does well, he go from, from, you know, my brother's wronged me to it's time for me to start killing people? Standard stages of grief. I don't believe it. Oh, damn, I'm going to cry about it. I'm going to get even. I'm going to get mad. I am going to, they, I've been done wrong. I'm going to get even. Right. And that spirit can turn into a spirit of murder real easy. When a husband and a wife get divorced, it's never a pretty picture. No. They hate each other. Yep. And it's it's an ugly, ugly picture. And in some cases, it does turn to murder. Sure. But anyway, not, very, not not very often. Let's... But, but apart from that, apart from that, uh, Ervil still felt like he he could do some things, so he immediately decides to rearrange the church. Nobody paid him any attention. So okay, I can't do that. He he got himself a small following, but he's cut off from his number one source of income. Mm-hmm. In other words, he, he went from a whole lot of people that he could uh, get a little bit of money on out of to a very small group of people that he'd get a little bit of money out of. Gotcha. That wasn't a pretty picture. But he still and, has the land, right? Huh? He still has the land. No. The land's That's in his name. You, you said the land was okay, in his Okay, I, I didn't finish the story. Okay. Joel decided that he would get that land away from Irvo. How? 
Mexico at the time had a law that allowed the poor people to petition for unused property. And this was native land. It wasn't being used. And the president at the time, a fellow by the name of Echevarria, had, had said, we're not going to do this anymore. It's over. But as soon as he became president, all the, all the poor people went on strike and he changed his mind and he ended up giving more land to the poor people than anybody since Lazaro Cardenas, who had been the, the big guy that gave the land to the poor people way back when. Okay. So Joel said, okay, I'm going to start an ajito. So he sent some of the old Mexican members to Mexico City to petition the government to start an ajito. And it looks like they're doing pretty good. About that time, Erwell decided he's going to steal my property. People, just because it was his name, it was his. Mm -hmm. It's it's like uh, you were you in the military? No. Oh, then you don't you won't understand this. I was the storekeeper, the guy that's got all this stuff on the ship or on the base. He decided that's all his, and he's not going to let you have it unless you've got an order from some superior person to let, let it go. He takes a owner's viewpoint of all that property. Well, Ervo had decided all that property was his. Just because it was his. It had his name on it. Right. Legally, it was his. Never mind it was paid for by with church money with contributions, with tithing, with all that stuff. It was his. It's like in the Mormon church, if, uh, what's his name, Rusty, anyway, he's the sole owner of that corporation. Right. Right? Yep. He could take the whole thing and run if he wanted to, I suppose. Sure. Well, Ervo was the sole owner of thousands of acres of land that the church had paid for. But it was his, and he felt like it was his. So Joel's going to win the game by taking the property away from him. He's going to do that by bringing in a bunch of poor Mexicans and petition the government for that property. Okay. And Erbil says that is a criminal act. He shouldn't be allowed to do that. If he does that, he is a, is a criminal. He's a thief because he's stealing my property and he deserves to die. Gotcha. And if he's successful, he will die. Gotcha. Two days, two days after the Ahito thing was approved. Joel was killed. Gotcha. Two days. Interesting. Now, <clears throat> let me ask this question: How did Ruin Allred get on his on Joel on Ervil's list? I'm sorry. How did Ruin Allred get on Ervil's list? Let's run a while. Ruin Allred, of course, was part of the people that were over the LeBarons when they were in the United Order uh, in 1955 and before. Mm -hmm. 
uh, Rulin Allred was the first man that Joe asked to be his number two man. Rulin Allred was the head of the group that the LeBarrons felt was the legitimate uh, fundamentalist group. And Ervil wanted to get them into his group. But even more importantly is that Verlin was married to two, two, two nieces of Rulin Allred. Okay. And they wanted to get rid of Verlin. They, they had Job dead already, all right? So who do you want to get rid of? Verlin, the second, the brother that became the leader of the church after Joel died. So I know what let's do. We'll just kill Rulin Allred because he doesn't want to get in line and follow us. And when Verlin shows up at the funeral, we'll shoot him. Wow. Wow. But, so but when that happened, uh, they had every cop in that in Utah County, I guess, there. And they lost their nerve. So they killed Ruin Allred just to get to Verland? Yeah. Wow. That's the official story. I believe it. Okay. All right. Holy cow. And where are you still part of the Church of the Firstborn when all this is happening? I, was I a member? Yeah. Were you yes. still a member and active during this whole time period? Uh, I got out. Uh, after Berlin was dead, or okay. just before. Okay. Uh, when I when I had to, when I as a member of the High Council, sitting on the meetings where the the barons were fighting over who got the church's property, Joel's property, okay, or Verlin's property, whoever's property, which which the baron got it. I I I think I realized it. I don't think I want anything to do with these people. Right, right. And I left. Gotcha, gotcha. And right. so, yeah, I, I, so I ended up deciding. I think Joel was right when he started. I had hoped that some of the people that followed him were right, but they all two, this one man on the earth at a time. Okay, I'll shut up. Your turn. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Um, I got two questions here before we wrap up. The first okay. one is this. In your as as I'm listening to the story here of how Ervil got to where he was, to me, there there seem to be a couple key factors. Before I tell you mine, I want to know what yours are. As you look at what set the stage for Ervil to do what he did, what do you think it was? I think that it was disappointed expectations. He expected that the church was going to conquer. The, the Joel's church was going to completely conquer Mormondom and all of the fundamentalist groups. He believed that. And it looked like it was going to be true. They they were really doing well in the 60s and the early 70s. And all of a sudden, it stopped. Gotcha. 
And so his expectations of doing this great and wonderful thing for God and for the church was gone. And just like his brother Ben, when everything went wrong, everything went wrong for Earl, and he snapped. I talk about another person in the in my book, a guy by the name of Bill Tucker. He was the in, another intellectual. He was doing great and wonderful things. He fully expected that when Joel organized a church, he would be uh, in the first presidency, or he would be this, or he'd be that. When Joel organized church, he was just another apostle. He wasn't even the head apostle. Mm -hmm. And he left the church mm -hmm. within weeks after that. And he became an, an atheist, if you will. Questioned whether even God lived. He went from being the number one, uh, one of the greatest supporters of the church to wondering if God even existed. And he died. Well, he, he God took him. <clears throat> yeah. At least that's what we thought. He got a, an appendix, a, a burst appendix and died within a month or so of leaving the church. And I, that really put a scare on us. Okay. Okay. And I think Ervil and Joe believed that as much as the rest of us did. And so Ervil felt he did not, he, he could do no wrong. Right. And then it all got taken away from him. So do, let me push back here because there's a lot of people that get disappointed, right? I've been, I've been wealthy and poor several times. At no, and and got screwed over too. I should say in in the process, but I never went to that dude has to die now. Neither have I, but other people have. Right, and I, and 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 that's where I tend to be like, well, while there are certainly circumstances that that surround this, I I think that that. Ervil is ultimately responsible for for the actions that were taken there, right? I don't ever want. I, I'm not a big believer in you're a product of your environment. Um, that we see people all the time that are able to to exercise upward mobility and get out of their their bad situation and better themselves. So I, I don't ever want to excuse. Quite frankly, in this case just horrific actions because he felt like he was wronged. Um, there's lots of people who get wronged who end up making it still. Um, as I've looked at the story, as, as we've sat down here and talked, and, and I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It's not often you get to talk to someone who was there while it happened. And here's, here's what I, I take away. I think that Ervil was years in the making, right? I think that that he's raised in a household that, in my opinion, sounds an awful lot like a pressure cooker. You got a dad who's who's super uh, a super disciplinarian, a mom, and her 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 kids are not going to be second 
Uh, second place looks like the first loser to her. Um, the, so he has these pressures. He comes back. He he watches his brother Ben fail at starting a church. That had to leave a mark. Um, and then he he does put in a ton of time into the church that Joel starts. Um, and, you know, does a lot of the dirty work. But somewhere along the lines hubris seems to set in for for Ervil, right where he starts yeah. looking at things going i'm entitled to these things and and then when that all gets taken away he snaps as you said not excusing what Ervil did because there there's no excuse for the shedding of innocent blood there's one other thing that i think this all can kind of hinge on as well and this is why I've come to a point to where I'm not a huge fan of this. Now, I want to specify this. There are plenty of people that adhere to this doctrine that don't go crazy. There's plenty of leaders that adhere to this doctrine that don't go crazy. But I, I will make the case that most things bad that happen in Mormonism stem from a place where the one-man doctrine is is um adhered to there is this idea that 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 there's only so much authority to go around and if your authority has been challenged you have to respond and as i look at this one man doctrine and how this fits in with this i see ervil um being being you know in in his mind screwed over by joel um he he's he's really angry about this and he i'm sure at some point he's like i'm justified in this ervil's not the guy there can only be one guy on the earth i should be that guy now ervil uh, uh joel's disqualified himself and then and, and ervil's that guy yes and ervil's that guy right he believed that and that's, and that's the worst doctrine that exists in the Mormon church as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. Because when, when you adhere to the one-man doctrine, whether you want to believe it or not, my opinion is this. You no longer about are about principle. You're, a, you're about whoever the man is in charge. And, mm -hmm. and one-manism often gets accompanied by infallibility. I, and, I waste a lot of pages against that particular doctrine in my book okay? right right absolutely um yeah so those those are the main things i can see here that kind of help set the table but for me at the end of the day this all lies at the feet of ervil LeBaron. certainly the table had to be set for him but he seemed more than willing to go down this road if he had to let let me ask you this, Dwayne. Why did you write the book? Uh, when I, in the book, I said why. Because I share grandkids with Ervil. And those grandkids are negatively impacted because they're Ervil's descendants. Everybody judges anybody that is associated with Ervil in any way even if they weren't even born yet, with that kind of nonsense. Gotcha. That's one of the reasons. 
The other one, we are the people that made Ervil. Why? Because we went along with it. How come Warren Jeffs got away with all his nonsense? Right. Our prophet, right or wrong, our prophet, he's got the keys. Park our brains, park our integrity, and follow the prophet because he talks to God. Right. No, I think there's, I think that they're, they're, and again, that's a product of that one man doctrine, right? Um, yes, it is. <laughs> and, and we've got, and, and that's been the one thing within Mormon fundamentalism, certainly since I joined it, that sometime has been the most disturbing to me is this idea of, and to be fair, it's in the LDS church too, right? They're, they're a one man church. Um, but that's been probably the most disturbing part of the whole Mormonism thing is just how quick a lot of us are to park our, well, as you said, your integrity, your common sense, and just go with what the one man says. And I find nothing in the writings of Joseph Smith that would suggest that that was the end goal, was a one-man thing. I see Joseph being much more inclusive with passing that authority along. Um, well, that was the whole idea of the anointed quorum, is it should have a church, if you will, of priests and priestesses who had the authority to do whatever needed to do anywhere in the world. Right. Right. That's the second anointing that all of those people were going to get. Right. Once they qualified. Absolutely. Absolutely. But they took it away. Yep. Well, Dwayne, this has been awesome. I can't tell you how excited I am to get this one released. And uh, we'll we'll get it released the same week that uh, that that new Hulu series comes out. Okay. Um, because I think there's some important things that have to be talked about here, and I, I feel like we've talked about a lot of them. Um, real quick, the name of the book is um, "God's Executioner: The The Tragic Story of Ervil LeBaron." Where can they find the book, Dwayne? On Amazon. On Amazon. Uh, Barnes and Noble supposedly have it but i don't know if anybody bought any from them just go to amazon perfect there. there's a uh ebook there, there's a paperback there's a hardcover and in another week or two there'll be a spanish version fantastic fantastic bye everybody <laughs>